Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you in church this morning, and you're very welcome to our service of worship. And uh, if you're visiting with us, it's great to have you um, for wherever you've come from around the world. Uh, We're uh, just delighted to have you, and we do pray that God's blessing uh, will be uh, upon us as He meets with us here this morning. Uh, in our reading later on in First. Uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at a little phrase from Psalm 24. So I thought I would read that to you um, to uh, just set the scene, as it were, and to bring us into God's presence. Uh, because it's really, um, he, Paul uses it in a positive way. He says, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's how it starts. Um, but really what struck me this morning when I was looking at this is that it's where we say the king of glory, that the king of glory may come in. Okay? So I want you to think about that when I read it, that the king of glory may come in. And that you are going to ask him into your hearts. You're going to ask him that we might uh, truly know him, worship him. And so when we sing, when we pray, when we hear his word, that we are thinking, that we are in the presence of of the king of glory. This is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from his from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the king of glory. So as we stand to worship, it's him that we worship in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. You're the author of creation. Let's stand to sing. Every flower and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. All creation holds together by the power of your voice, free man. Well, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we come into your presence and we quieten our hearts before you. We humble ourselves before you because you are the Lord Almighty, the King of glory. And Father, your glory is seen every day around us in the creation that you have made, in the perfection of the sky, in the wonder 
of the changing clouds, in the variety of the flowers, in their colors and their shapes and their perfumes. And Father, it is just glorious. It is good. And it reflects your character. And we see your glory supremely, of course, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see his kindness to those who were marginalized. We see his willingness to give up his sleep and to give up his, the glory of heaven, to give up his food, to give of himself wholeheartedly, of course, on the cross, and to bleed drops of blood for us. And, Father, we see the glory of what he did. We see the glory of his words. We see the glory of his actions. We see the glory of his motivation of his heart. We see the glory of his relationship with his heavenly Father, perfect in every way. And we see the glory of self-sacrifice on the cross for those who had rejected him and who refused to obey him and to follow his way. Father, we stand in awe at the perfection and the glory and the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we've been singing, we thank you that he was all of this because of him being God and that he became a man so that he might rescue us from our sin. And Father, I pray that as we come to look at your word later on and we look at this idea of how we live in the world and how we relate to those who do not know Christ or love him, that, Father, that we, you will give us hearts like Jesus, hearts that love to be pure, hearts that love to reach out, hearts that love to engage, hearts that want to uh, understand where the world is at and speak of Jesus to them. So, Father, fill us afresh this morning with love. Fill us afresh with desire to be what you would want us to be. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness as we ask that you might cleanse us and renew us this morning. And Father, I pray that you'd be with us in this service as we read your word and look at it together. And I pray that you will bless as we meet together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks who've got your Bibles there, do open them at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think Anna and Ezekiel are... Is it just Ezekiel. Okay, Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is going to come. For those of you who don't know Anna and Ezekiel, can you please stand? I just wanted to introduce you personally in that way. You, do, you know Anna and Ezekiel. They're actually... Uh, they've just got married. Okay. But they're going to get married again in Argentina in a few weeks' time, uh, before the Lord. And they're going to do that and, and take their vows before him in a church service there. And we wish them well, and uh, we want to just bless them as they go shortly to do that. So Ezekiel's going to come and read us God's Word. Yeah, I like to say that I only half married. <clears throat> um, 
You know you're getting old when you have to use one of these to read from the front. Um, okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read until 11.1. Uh, so it's Paul saying, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and, they, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock and that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. They were not in Ireland. And do not grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted be beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge, judge for yourself, uh, yourselves what I said. It's not the cup, of, uh, the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ, and it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, and one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of Pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have part in both of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything <clears throat> sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then 
do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you for, uh, and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, the, of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Sorry, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, the Word of God. Thank you, Ezekiel. Well, boys and girls, if you want to come to the front, we'll have a, a little bit uh, more of a look at this. Not a stampede, no. Okay. Thank you. Well done. Look at that. Appreciate that. Right. Okay. Is this working? You're, you're hearing me okay? No. I got us. You're not hearing me? I think it is on, at least. Yeah, it should be on. Yeah, something working there. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go anyway and uh, speak up reasonably loud. So I've got a sign for you, boys and girls, okay? And I want you to kind of look at it, if you can see it there. Okay? I'm going to print these out, but it was easier to do it on the PowerPoint. So have a look at that sign. Can you tell me what it means? Okay, right, Lucas, since you come up first. It's a warning. Yes, a red triangle means warning, Okay? Danger. Well done. That's my next question. So the exclamation mark in the middle doesn't tell us what the danger is. It's just saying there's something dangerous. There's a warning coming around the corner, particularly if you're um, driving. So Angie was ahead of the mark here. Danger. Okay. And I want you to think about danger. And I've actually, so I was going to ask you this, but I've got you to get you started what is this? What are we to do here? What do you see? Okay. Yes. It's a shark, isn't it? Yes. So what are you to do in that situation? What's it telling you, Allegra? You have to, yes, well, I think it's really saying, yes, you're right, okay. You could have your own insurance and say, I'm going in anyway, yes, okay. But I think, anybody want to get eaten by a shark? That's right, you need to, if you see him, dun, 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 okay, and all that. Right, yes, well, okay, other things, give me some other things we're to, to, to watch. What, what are other dangerous things? Just quickly. It doesn't really matter, but... And you? 
falling off a cliff. It might be, it might say danger cliff edge, absolutely. Wild animals, yes, indeed. Lions and tigers and all those kind of things. Yes, that's right. Okay. Now, so that's your, there's a danger and you're to avoid it. Okay. I want you to think about that. Now, here's another picture just to think about another kind of danger. What do you see, first of all? Where's Jane? You're a hockey player, Jane. What do you see? A goalkeeper. What, why do you think he's dressed the way that he's dressed? The, the, okay, yes, there's three dangers there. There's the danger from the ball, which is very, very hard. I am missing two teeth here because of a hockey stick, which came around, whopped me in the mouth, and these, when I was 17 years of age, really sore. And the ball, so, but look at him, like he's got his feet, his pads, he's got padding on here, he's got elbow pads, he's got fantastic gloves, because he can stop that ball with his hand, and he's got a mask as well. That's right. Well, it's water, by the way, in that. So, by the way, that's David Hart. He is the, from Cork, and he's one of the best hockey players, hockey goalkeepers in the world, okay? But the point I'm trying to make there is that sometimes because we're in danger, we can't avoid it, but we can protect ourselves from it. So, he can stand in the goals, and when you see it at that top level, those balls are flying in really fast, really hard, and he just stands in front of it, can fling off him anywhere. He can stop it with his hands, his body, his legs, his feet, and it doesn't hurt him because he's protected. But it's still dangerous. And if you were to go in there without those protections, you would be hurt. <laughs> okay, next one. Okay, I had to put that leg specs in because I knew you wouldn't understand. What is the danger here? Strange, yes, strangers and murderers and getting lost. Anybody been lost and been scared? You've been lost. Can you tell me about that, Charlene? Right, so you were lost in Tesco's. Wow. <laughs> okay, among the baked beans or something, yeah. So you are lost in Tesco's, and what needs to happen in that situation is that you need to find someone to come and get you and to rescue you. And how did that happen for you, Charlene? You just found her. Okay. to the reception, customer service. They made an announcement and things. There's a pattern emerging here, Charlene, okay? About you getting lost in shops, okay. So that's it, so we've got danger that we should avoid, danger that we need protected from, and danger that we sometimes need to escape from. So what have you got here? What does that mean? Do you see it here? Look, actually, I see, we actually do have one here. Where are they? So what do they mean? Okay, Dylan, you tell me this time. It's a fire exit. What are you to do if a fire comes? 
you're meant to run out those doors, aren't you? It's an escape mechanism, an exit. And that is what you've been reading in that difficult passage that Ezekiel was reading. Okay, because what is this? What is that a picture of? What Old Testament story is that a picture of? Okay, Scott? That's right. So they're escaping from Egypt because they were slaves in Egypt and the Egyptians were harsh on them and they weren't able to worship their God and God brought Moses at the front and he was able to lead them by the miraculous power of God through this, uh, through the sea, the Red Sea. And they were able to escape. And that word exodus means exit, a way out. And that's what God provided. Because there's an even greater danger than all of those dangers that you have talked about. And that's the danger of not knowing God and doing what God wants and being his friend. Because ultimately, that's what he wants for you. And, and there's real dangers as well, because as we read in that passage, and I know it was hard to, to pick up, sometimes we worship other things, like sport, and like our families, and material things, things that we, you know, that we, you know, that we shouldn't really put first, and we put them first, and we don't worship God, and we're in danger. Or we... Um, as it said there as well, we don't do what God wants. And I was thinking, one of the ways we know that we don't do what God wants, they say we break the commandments. So the fifth commandment, to honor your parents and to obey them. We don't all do that. I didn't do that when I was your age, and you don't do it either. And we're in danger. And sometimes we just get angry at God. And we say, I don't want to follow God's way. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be there. I want to do something else instead. And that's testing God. And it's not a good place to be. That's what the passage said. Do not test God. So there's another way out, of course, isn't there? Where is that? It's not working now, Peter, for some reason. Yeah, the cross. So that's another exit, isn't it? Because God has provided in Jesus a way out for the sinful things that we do. And he loves us so much that he gave his son so that we would be able to exit from the danger that we're in. And that was the famous verse in that passage in 1 Corinthians. That's really what it says. It says that in this, in this version. God is faithful and he has provided a way of escape. So danger, we don't want to be in it. We want to avoid it. We want protected from it. And we want a way out. And when we do things that are wrong and don't honor God, we want protection and a way out. And the cross is our way of escape. And that's what God wants us to think about and to hold to in our lives. He wants us to accept him for what he has done for us. So we're going to sing a song now, uh, really just a, a song about God. Uh, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. So let's stand to sing that together. Sunday special in K2.
Folks, just want to uh, go through some of these announcements before we move on in the service. Again, just to say that you are very welcome. If you're visiting with us, do make yourself known to us. Sign our visitors' book, stay for tea and coffee, and chat to folks as well. Now, next Sunday, we, uh, we're finishing off in 1 Corinthians today, um, and over the, we begin our summer services next Sunday, um, and I've called these a conversation with Jesus, and you can see the list of them on the back of the order of service there. Uh, we're going to start looking at uh, a conversation with Jesus on religion. Uh, these services will be about an hour long, and uh, they will be informal and uh, hopefully we'll be able to interact with one another, and the boys and girls will stay in. Um, those who are um, eight, three to eight, will be allowed to go uh, to a special Summers Children's Church as well. So that's happening next Sunday, and that's the beginning of our summer services. And we do want to encourage you to come and worship with us. If you have come and you would like to be prayed for, uh, there is prayer ministry at the front here, uh, you simply come to the front and uh, give your request, and people will, uh, the two folks that are there, will pray for you confidentially uh, and really uh, not giving advice, just simply uh, bringing it to the Lord in prayer. And number four, there you see that um, uh, Marcus, uh, and I think he's taking his wife with them as well, Eleni, and they're both going to Brazil. And uh, so we need someone to look after the building and to do the, the tasks that Marcus would do, some of them anyway, in terms of cleaning in particular. And if you can help during the month of July, uh, please speak to Stuart, and his email is there just to let him know that you can do that. It really, I think, just means hoovering in here primarily on a Saturday uh, or sometime during the week as well. And you'll also see that we're going to do um, uh, some work on the front of the church, uh, the church building uh, needs a facelift, and so uh, about six weeks, starting on the 1st of July, uh, there will be work at the front of the church, uh, and it just says there may be a slight inconvenience. I don't really know what that means. I think that means you might have to walk under scaffolding, but we'll see as the time comes. The other announcements, really, we've had before, so I just leave those with you. Um, and, and as you know, we are a city center church. People come and people go. And uh, I want to say cheerio uh, to two people in particular today. Well, to one couple, Raymond and Colette, are leaving us. Um, our home group will be saying a special uh, cheerio to them. And uh, uh, just to, to pass that on, uh, uh, Colette, to Raymond, that we will miss you. Um, we know you're not going very far. They're going to Windermere in the Lake District. And uh, so if you want a holiday, you can look them up in that way. Um, but it's been great. Uh, they've been a super couple. Um, they've given themselves wholeheartedly, particularly in many aspects of service. Um, and they've been a delight to have around. And we will certainly miss them. And we wish you God's blessing. And Ross is, is finally, is by Ross is here. So Ross has been with us. Ross is a student from Queen's University. And he's been uh, with us through this year as he's been working in a firm in Dublin. And uh, sadly, he leaves us to go back to finish off his degree. We, we wish you well in that, Ross. And thank you for serving so very well in young adults in other ways as well. And uh, Ross will be helping with Dublin International Outreach as well in the summertime DV. Uh, so just thank you, folks. And uh, we will miss you. And we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers. As we prepare our hearts for God's word, 
let's sing Jesus is the name we honor. So we're thinking about him as we come uh, to look at 1 Corinthians 10. Well, folks, do open your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm sure that when Ezekiel was reading it, you were thinking this is not an easy passage, and you are right. Um, and so let's pray that God will help us to understand as we work at understanding His Word to us. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that it's good and that it's perfect. We thank You that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we pray that as we look at it today, that You will give us the energy and the desire to wrestle with what You say, and that, Father, that we will think about how we live our lives, and that we will think about what needs to be changed in light of what we hear today. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose the question I want to leave before you is, how do we relate to a sinful world? Where do we draw the line? What is acceptable and beneficial? And if you apply the standards perhaps of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I'm going to ask you to think about your reading, the novels that you read, the magazines that you read, and other things like that. And if you applied that standard, wouldn't it, you would think to yourself, well, I wouldn't actually read very much. But I've been reading this week, and I read an article by a same-sex-attracted Christian leader who has been reading a wide variety of books, which he has called promiscuous reading, using a term argued by uh, an older poet called John Milton, who I think wrote Paradise Lost. The reasons he gives are, one, it's a safe place to experience the thinking of the LGBTI community, plus community. And it helps him to understand who they are and where they're at in their lives for the purpose of sharing Jesus. It is also, he says, highlighted to him how caring that community is, and it puts the church to shame. It has helped him understand that those who wish to prove the traditional view of the church wrong, which he's obviously reading about, that often they use emotional rhetoric, their arguments are weak biblically, and what it has done has strengthened his resolve to hold to the traditional view of the church on this issue of gay marriage. And he's been encouraged because the life that these folks are advocating and wanting him to follow he actually looks at his own life in Christ, and he says, my life is better. There's nothing that they are offering to me that is better than what I already have. And therefore, in conclusion, he says, you might like, find like me that John Milton was onto something, that your Christian virtue and commitment to the truth actually increases in the process of promiscuous reading. Now, I leave that out with you. I'm not advocating it. I'm just leaving it for you there to think about. Because what I think we're in here in, in chapters 8, 
9 and 10 of Corinthians is Paul wrestling with that kind of idea. The problem, of course, for the Corinthians was should they eat food sacrificed to idols? There was a group within the church that we saw in chapter 8 that said, we are free, we have the knowledge, and everything is permissible for us. And such an attitude gave them a superior feeling, and they were called super spiritual apostles. And Paul's answer to them, by the way, in chapter 8, if you remember, was, that's okay, but you shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols if it offends other Christians who think that it's wrong. He describes them as weak in their conscience. And we saw that the direction that we are to travel is not about knowledge and what we can do, but the ethic of love. And we must be careful not to destroy in chapter 8 and verse 9. In love, look out for other, the other as to encourage them and not to hurt them. In chapter 9, we saw that Paul defends his ministry to those who were criticizing him. And he defended, he started by defending his rights. And if you remember, I highlighted the importance of human rights as we had been discussing them at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And I did get feedback on this. And it did, the person who was speaking to me urged me to be careful, and I want to admit to this, that because Paul was claiming not to have to follow his, his rights, as it were. You remember, he set up his rights, and then he said, I have these rights, but I'm actually not going to follow them. That we need to be careful that we don't demean the idea of human rights because people around the world do not have them. And I'm happy to do so. I think Christians, as I was arguing, should support and affirm the right to human dignity, equality, and human responsibility. But I'm primarily happy to clarify it because my own conscience was troubled even before this person spoke to me because the, the problem in nine is not about human rights. The issue in nine is about purpose. Paul's purpose in everything he did was love. His purpose was so that he might win some and that people would be saved and that as many as possible would win the prize along with himself. And so, like an athlete, he dedicated himself to winning the prize at the, uh, like the athletes at the Isthmian Games. Paul is totally dedicated to Jesus. He's totally dedicated to his church. And he challenges us in our half-heartedness. Are we the aimless runner? Are we the pretend boxer? Are we the one who, are we flabby? And are we unfit Christians? And I just want to read verses 24 to 27 of 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But then he sets up this amazing contrast. But... We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I, Paul, do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No. I beat my body, which really means I discipline myself. 
and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That is the desire that Paul had. That was his purpose in everything he did. So we've seen the ethic of love. We've seen the purpose of salvation. And now we come to this passage in chapter 10 where we will look at how he warns the church, the Corinthian church, against presumption, compromise, and legalism. So let me just go through those as well. I think we have some headings here. What's the next one? Yeah, i leave that in the meantime. I can leave that up for you. You can have a look at that. So the peril of presumption is verses 1 to 13. Those opposed to Paul presumed that they were right and that they would never fall because they had participated in many spiritual blessings. The Lord's Supper was one, as we'll come to that later on. Uh, Spiritual gifts, as we see, of course, in chapter 12. Freedom, which they've been talking about. And Paul says to them very plainly, you need to know that participation in spiritual blessings doesn't make you immune to God's displeasure at sin. Paul believes them to be wrong in their attitude and action regarding participation in pagan feasts. But I do want us to note before I start this, folks, because this is hard-hitting, I want you to see that he calls them brothers and sisters in verse 1. He fundamentally disagrees with them. He thinks that they are wrong, and he's going to tell them so. But he doesn't say, and he warns them, that God will punish them, but he doesn't say that they're not brothers and sisters. He also says that they are in connection with their forefathers, ancestors, I think Ezekiel's word said, that our forefathers were all under the crowd. So he's linking them in with the past believers as well. And that's what those pictures were just there to remind us. I'll not go do that. You see that, the blessing of of that... um, Sorry, Peter, it's not working too well here. Yeah, the cloud. This is, I just wanted you to get these pictures in your head. So going through the Red Sea, the cloud being led through the desert, and there's one more. Um, okay, sorry. Go back one there. Yeah, and then the water from the rock. And then we'll go on to the peril. So I want you to keep those. This, this is what these people in the past experienced. They saw the glory of God. They had actually walked through a tunnel of water in a sea. They'd seen the plagues dealt with. They'd seen God miraculously provide water for them in the desert. They had all these blessings. And look at verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And if you want to know what those things were, he tells us in verses 6 to 10, the golden calf incident with idolatry. They worshipped with Moabite women and sexual immorality. They tested the Lord and grumbled at Moses' leadership and were bitten by snakes. They didn't want that godly leadership. And actually, do you know what they wanted? They wanted to go back to Egypt to slavery, and to onions, and to garlic. And they were angry, and they were critical in their hearts. 
And the sad thing was that most of them died. You read that Old Testament passage, you find that only Caleb and Joshua entered. And it's a severe warning. It's a warning that we as believers should not presume on the goodness of God. If we sin and we fail to repent, we have had incalculable blessings. Our blessings are greater than those of Moses. We have had Jesus Christ. We have seen him in his glory. We have been saved by his death on the cross. And if we ever become presumptuous about sin and sin with impunity, we are in a very difficult place. So what does death in the desert look like today? How serious is sin for the Christian in the light of what Jesus has done for us? And can we suffer and die even because we disobey God and fail to repent? Can we lose our salvation? Those are questions that rose in my mind as I began to prepare this last week. I want to say, folks, firstly, that I believe that the Christian cannot lose their salvation, that we are saved, we are always saved. If we are an adopted child of God, we are always an adopted child of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I do want to say to you, folks, that God can be angry at us because of our sins and because of the persistence of our sins. Yes, He is slow to anger. And as I read in my own reading in 1 Timothy, he is infinitely patient, but he can be angry with us. And I'm going to tell you a story in my own life of how God was angry at me. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, but it, it relates to my call as a life to be a minister. You know that God, when I was 17 or 16, said to me, Sam, I want you to be a minister. And I said, no, I cannot be a minister. I never want to stand at the front. I never want to proclaim or never want to wear a collar is really what I said. I don't do that now, of course. And I said that with tears. And I said, I'll do medicine instead. And so um, I think God was happy with that. I was generally happy in that kind of decision. And that's what I did. And whenever I tell that story, I actually don't, you know, then God called me again, of course, to be a minister. And I'd grown up, I think, in my faith, and I actually said yes this time. And things began to work out, and I was in the first year in theological college. Now, I was struggling hugely. I think because of all the things that I had done in those last 10 years that needed to be dealt with, um, and I was, I, was, I, did, I was really afraid to go ahead. I was depressed physically, and I asked God to stop me, to allow me to get out of ministry, to leave theological college and to go back to ministry, to go back to medicine. And in the next few moments, and I've never experienced this in the same way again, I want to tell you that I experienced the anger of God in my room, on my knees. And it was sobering. I was just overwhelmed with his sense of displeasure. 
And I remember seeing the sheer size of him. I don't know how I envisaged that, but I saw that sheer size. I began to wonder what it would be like if he withdrew his blessing from me. And I understood his displeasure at my grumbling and my ungrateful attitude and my desire to go back in the way that I knew I shouldn't go. And I was so overwhelmed by it that I simply repented and said I was sorry for even thinking that. And in that moment it passed. And the reason that I stand before you is because that was one of those moments with God. Folks, I want you to read verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Verse 9, do not test the Lord. This passage tells us it will not end well with us. And yet Paul does not want us to end negatively, and he very positively speaks in verse 13. And in many ways you could preach this verse as a single entity, and I'm just going to skirt over it as well. Basically what he's saying, if you deliberately test the Lord, that's dangerous. But in the course of your life, when temptations and testing come to you, you need to know that God, that this is common to everyone. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of living. And that God is faithful and that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The people of Israel should have remembered the love and the greatness of God in the Exodus. They should have remembered the water that came from the rock. And we should remember the love of God in creation and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it say there? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, an exodus, an exit, so that you can stand up under it. And that is knowledge of the cross of Christ and his glory and his giving of himself for us in that. So that is where we must go when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to love the world, when we're tempted to grumble, when we're tempted to put other things in front of the church. We're to see his love. We're to see his faithfulness. And we're to respond there is a real danger, folks, that even though we've been Christians for a long time and we live comfortably in the Western world, that we presume on the goodness of God. Secondly, we're to look at the danger of compromise. Paul directly answers the question posed and hence of the prohibition of eating pagan uh, temples. I just want to walk through this with you because it's not easy. Um, he really, so he's answering them directly. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. He's saying to them, look, you are sensible people. You are intelligent people. I speak to sensible people. Judge what you're by, for yourselves what I say. He bases his argument on the Lord's Supper or communion. And what he's saying there is that in celebrating communion, in drinking the cup, in eating the bread, it's a participation in Jesus 
of both his blood and his body. Now, we don't believe that's literal, but means communion with, belonging to, identifying with, entering into relationship by faith based on promise. It's a covenant. And if you look at verse 17, it's so strong that really communion means that we're one because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. This idea of communion, this idea of participation, this idea of belonging to Christ is so strong that it unites us in communion. Secondly, he says in verse 18, what happens at sacrifice in Israel? Remember that everybody eats of the sacrifice. The priests got certain parts, the people got certain parts, but everybody ate of the sacrifice. In other words, we're all participants in the sacrifice. Now then he concedes, and this is where it gets difficult because he actually says, well, look, do you mean verse 19 and verse 20? He's not saying, he's not admitting that idols are anything, that sacrifices are anything, verse 19, but he really is saying in verse uh, 20, and this is the key point, that the sacrifices are, are meals offered to demons, which means that they have participation with demons and not with God. And so his conclusion, such participation with demons is absolutely incompatible. You must not share in the communion meal with the Lord and the pagan feast with demons in verse 21. So you see what he's saying. You communicate with Christ in communion. You are part of Christ. You're part of his body. We belong together. If you do that, even though sacrifices and idols ultimately are nothing, behind them lurks a spiritual reality which is demonic. And you must be careful. You cannot do this and do that. You cannot take communion and be in pagan fellowships, feasts with unbelievers. That's what he's saying, I think. And what he really says here is it's covenant thinking. You can, there's so much to be thought through in this because he's saying we're in communion, we're in covenant. It's like we are married to Christ and that we commit adultery with these others. And that's why he says that he is jealous he loves you so much. He loves you too much. It's like breaking his covenant. It breaks his heart. It's like living, having an adulterer. And by the way, you should always remember that he's stronger than you. And these Corinthian Christians, though, through their knowledge that idols were nothing, failed to think through this concept of participation and the reality of the demonic, and as such were in error, in danger of falling, of arousing the Lord's anger, and of ultimately being hurt themselves. And so how do we apply that? Well, folks, I want to say to you that you should never meddle or mess with the occult. You should never mess with Ouija boards or tarot cards, all forms of astrology, fortune-telling, seances, black magic, even films and books that are in those subjects. Because I want to say to you folks that do not be unaware 
that the thief that is Satan comes to kill and to destroy. And I have been sobered, as I hope you have been, by the tragic death of Anna Kriegel and the associations that those boys had with Satan and the occult and how it destroyed them and her. Folks, it's a reality, and we need to be careful that we do not compromise with that which is satanic or evil. Now, how does that work in the world? How do we participate with the world in less obvious evil or demonic situations? I suppose it's not easy to know that. But it's important that we think it through. It's important that we realize that participation is wrong in these things. If they are idols to us, if they compromise us with sexual sin, if they lead us away from the people of God and from serving God, we must be aware there's a spiritual battle and there's a reality and a danger of compromise. And lastly, there is the risk of legalism. I was amazed, I suppose I'm trying to, if I lighten it slightly, um, uh, Donald Trump has uh, re-engaged his American uh, uh, bid for presidency, and his slogan is, keep America great. It resonates, doesn't it? Make America great, keep America great. We hold to that. And I've actually been thinking a lot about the term Brexit. When you compare it to remain, it's so remain so weak. Brexit really grabs our attention. And it's a slogan that we've come behind. We actually don't really know what it means somewhere, but we just Brexit. And that's what these folks were doing. Look in verse 23. They were just saying everything's permissible. Everything's permissible for these super Christians in Corinth. It was their guide. It was their slogan that they lived under. I can do anything I want because I've experienced the blessings of Christ, been baptized, I take communion, I have the spiritual gifts. And Paul corrected them in saying, no, no, you can't. Not if it leads other Christians into sin. That was chapter 8. Not if it destroys them. And not if it involves fellowship with demons and with sin. So the danger then, of course, is, having said all that I've said, is that we become legalistic, that we become prescriptive, that we say no to everything. That's why I started with the illustration that I did with reading promiscuous literature. Paul is aware of the danger, and he seeks to open the Corinthian church's eyes to the breadth of God's goodness and how in love he has given us everything for our enjoyment. That is the key point here in, in Psalm 24. And I read this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 again this week, and it re-emphasized this to me. He is keen to allow as much freedom as possible as he can in this matter. And so he just gives examples here. Don't ask unnecessary questions about the origin of the food that you buy in verse 25. When you go to the marketplace, he says, buy and enjoy. You don't need to know where it comes from. Just buy it and enjoy it. 
And he also says, don't have unnecessary questions when you're invited out for a meal with neighbors or friends. Just eat and enjoy. We so often raise questions, don't we, in our own minds about, is this right or not right? Paul says, don't do it. Don't raise questions because they're unhelpful. And yet, he says, if your host tells you um, that the food has been sacrificed to an idol, and he says, don't eat it. And you think, well, what is he actually saying? And I think his argument is, it's your host conscience, that's what he does say, it's your host conscience that you're respecting. It appears, by the way, that because they've told you that it's been sacrificed to a pagan idol, that they're aware that that may be a problem for you. And basically, Paul says, well, it is a problem for you if you know that that's the case, and they know that it's a problem, and you should just say, yes, it is a problem for me, and I'm not going to eat it. And I imagine, folks, that that would be very difficult for us, very difficult indeed for us to say, I'm not doing that because it disagrees with what I believe. We just don't do that. We would want to say, I don't want to offend them. That's what we would say. We want to use our freedom in Christ to eat. And I think that's what Paul answers those questions in verses 29 and 30. They're not easy verses. But I think he's saying there that where he sees the use of our freedom being condemned by the host, as they would simply see no difference between their God and ours. A weaker Christian could, could then be led into sin. And by taking a stand, we have a chance to declare the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, and the weaker Christian is not destroyed, even if in other circumstances we would eat the food. And it's all about purpose. It's all about desire to honor God and to live in his glory. It's all about wanting to win this person for Christ. It's all about being aware of the spiritual battle. And folks, there's a lot to think about here. And if you look in verses 31 to verse 1, you see really the summary of everything that he's been saying from verses chapter 8, 9, and 10. And I'm simply going to read them because I've said enough. Whatever we do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, firstly, do it all for the glory of God. Secondly, even though you're free to do lots of things in Christ, you must be conscious that you, you must not hurt or offend others. Do not cause anyone to stumble. That's the argument of chapter 8. You are to live positively in this world, and you are to seek to please everybody. You are to seek to be in this world, even if that means denying what is right for you. But look at that purpose, so that they may be saved. Our deepest desire is that men and women out there who are lost who do not know Christ, who are in danger of his judgment, need to know the gospel. And he says, lastly, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, who left the glory of heaven 
who came to this world, who lived positively in the world, seeking to be with the unbeliever so that they might come to him and ultimately who gave his life for them, both in example and in words, and we are to follow his example. And I think if I've learned anything in these whole chapters, I've learned that Paul loves Jesus and he loves these people and he wants them to become Christians. And it's the ethic of love that drives his every decision in light of, the, of what the Word of God says. And I leave that with you. Let's pray. Father, this is a real issue for us in the Western Church. How do we relate to a world that is increasingly anti-God? And Father, when we look at the example of Paul and we look at the example of Jesus, we see that we're not to criticize or condemn them, and we are to live in the world. But we are to do that with love and with being wise, and we are to stand for what is right. And Father, that's not easy. And I pray that you will help us not to be presumptuous, uh, not to compromise, and, Lord, not to be legalistic, as many of us are. And I pray, Father, that you will give us a real desire in our hearts because of the love that God has given us. We love because he first loved us, that we might take that away, that we might think it through, that we might know what you would have us do where we live, work, and play. To your glory and honor, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, let's give our offering to the Lord, and we can sing, O oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, as we do so. So let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can come before you at any time with our prayer requests. We pray firstly for people in our congregation who are not well. Thank you that Annie, Rebecca, Jonathan Mitchell and Paul Jones have all made good progress. We continue to pray earnestly that all four will be restored to full health and strength. We pray for strength and energy for their families and friends as they support them, and for wisdom and compassion for all responsible for their care in a professional capacity. There are also many in our congregation who live with chronic conditions and pain. We call on your mercy, Lord, and ask for healing, comfort, strength, and a real sense of your love and presence for all. Come, Holy Spirit. On a separate note, we pray for Raymond and Colette. Thank you for all their service to you while they attended this church and elsewhere. And we pray for your guidance and encouragement for them 
in the UK. And now, Lord, we pray for the children and young people connected with our church. Children have been very much in the news in recent weeks. They are a gift from you. And we know that every child who comes across the doorstep of this building is precious to you. We pray for your protection for the babies and toddlers, thinking especially of little Ruby as her mum is in hospital. For the Caterpillar children during their summer break and for the Sunflower children during their fortnight's holidays in July. Please continue to watch over the children who will leave Sunflower during the summer to move on to big school. And we thank you for the children of Sunday Special. We pray that they will grow to love you more as a result of what they're learning upstairs this morning and to what they will learn in children's church during the summer. And Lord, for our preteens, teens and young adults, thank you for all they bring to our world. Enthusiasm, fun, idealism and a willingness to share the gifts that you have given them. Thank you for the good example that they set us through their interest in social justice and the environment. As they grow up in a sometimes unsteady and confusing world, we pray that you will guard and protect them and other young people throughout Ireland as they experience the joys, pressures and challenges of life. Please minister to their deepest concerns and help them to develop healthy, supportive friendships and relationships. There are so many opportunities and options. Please guide them to make the right decisions. For those who've already committed their lives to you, Lord, please keep them strong in you as they encounter philosophies and agenda that deny the truth of your word. Heavenly Father, Help them to run with perseverance the race marked out before them, to fix their eyes on Jesus and never to grow weary or lose heart. For those who are questioning or doubting you, Lord, please reassure them that you understand what they're going through and that you are like the father in the story of the prodigal son, waiting and longing for them to run into your arms. Holy Spirit, please continue to work in their hearts and minds and bring them into a living, loving, lasting friendship with their Heavenly Father. For our young people involved in outreach, thank you for bringing Johan safely home from Zambia. We pray for your enabling for Jonathan and the other leaders as they prepare for and lead the Christians in Sport Camp which starts next Sunday in St. Columbus College. We pray that all the teenagers who participate in the sports camp will enjoy the week, benefit from the coaching and get to know you better. And we also thank you that Ross will be involved in the Dublin International Outreach in Dublin during the summer. Thank you, Lord, that you have heard our prayers this morning you are able to do more than we ask or imagine. We know that like the Israelites, 
you have provided for us in the past and will do so in the future. And as we all, young and old, face the challenges of the coming week, help us to remember the words of that song that we sang in church last week. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And we pray all these prayers in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, folks, our response to all that we've heard today is to surrender to him. And uh, that is a blessed position to be in. So let's stand and sing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.